If you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and find 1 Kings. Uh, we're going to be going back to that section we've been in the last few weeks, uh, 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19. We're going to be focusing primarily on 1 Kings 19. Uh, we've been in this brief series, as Sean has already mentioned, from the life of the prophet Elijah. Uh, he shows up in these chapters. He just kind of bursts onto the scene. Um, Elijah gives us this incredible example of how to live faithfully uh, in a world, in a culture, in a society where many, if not the majority, have rejected God. And so we've looked at Elijah, this prophet of God, this faithful servant of God, and we've seen his example. We saw in week one how he chooses to hold on to the anchor of who God is. He remains devoted and obedient when so many around him had drifted away from God's best and God's intent. Then last week, we looked into the same accounts, and we saw how our God is faithful to provide, how he provides through unexpected things and in unexpected ways. Uh, we saw how he provides through his people, uh, and then we saw how sometimes God even still provides in miraculous ways. We're going back to 1 Kings again today to finish out this series, um, but this message is going to be looking at how, how does Elijah make it when his circumstances are less than ideal? Uh, when things are difficult, when things are hard, when he's discouraged, when he's disappointed, when despair threatens uh, to come crushing in, when he is weary, and we're going to see how God helps him endure. And, and my hope in this, my prayer in this, and it's something I've been preaching to myself all week, that, that we would learn from Elijah's example and that you and I could endure as people of faith uh, when life is full of really difficult circumstances when you're discouraged, when you're disappointed, when you're dejected, when you're overwhelmed, what can we learn from Elijah? So we're gonna be in 1 Kings 19. Uh, to give you a little bit of backstory before we read through the first 18 verses, uh, when we left off last week with Elijah, we kind of finished with this pinnacle moment for him. Uh, it was, in all senses of the phrase, a mountaintop experience. We use that phrase to describe these really big highs in life when things seem to be going well, uh, when nothing could be better. Uh, but it was that for Elijah. It was also physically a mountaintop experience. He's on Mount Carmel. And when we were there with Elijah on Mount Carmel, uh, this prophet of God who for three and a half years had been anticipating, uh, had been waiting for God to give him the word that there would be rain again. He's living in a land of people who have abandoned God and they're worshiping the false god of Baal and the goddess Asherah. They're, they're chasing after the pleasures of this world. They're worshiping the idols of this world. And he's been waiting, he's been praying, he's been wrestling, he's been struggling as he just keeps waiting for God to come through. And on Mount Carmel, God came through. God showed up, God showed off. He showed off in such a miraculous way that the people on the mountain who'd been worshiping Baal had to fall on their faces and say, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. It is an incredible moment. And if you read that account and you rest in that account, you can kind of feel the excitement and the joy and the sense of victory alongside Elijah. Like this is the moment God has come through. Maybe this is the day that, that the rest of Israel's history changes. The people repent. They turn. There's no more idolatry. God is on the throne. God reigns. It's this beautiful moment. And if you're Elijah, you're probably anticipating that all the hardship, all the struggle, all the waiting, that all kind of comes to an end. And now this season of peace and joy and hope, 
uh, of stillness. You're kind of resting in an afterglow of God's victory on Mount Carmel. If you're, if you're in a spiritual tennis match, this is where you say game, set, match, like, like God is victorious. But what happens? 1 Kings 19, being in verse one. Now Ahab told Jezebel, uh, it's a queen we've heard about before. She's the daughter of uh, the king of Sidon. She's a worshiper of Baal and Asherah. Her heart is far from God. The enemy, Satan, has a hold of her and he's wreaking havoc through her. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. May the gods I worship deal with me ever so severely, Elijah, if a sword's not run through you like it was run through the prophets of Baal. Verse three, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. You feel the weight of discouragement and despair. Here's his prayer. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up, eat. Elijah looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Another name for Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him there in the cave. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out. Stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Elijah, come out, see me. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah once again replies, 
I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back. Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hezael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hezael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Let's rewind to the beginning of this encounter. Elijah is in Jezreel. Elijah is basking in the excitement and the victory from Mount Carmel. God has come through. For three and a half years, closing in on four, Elijah has known hardship. He's been in the desolate region of Kareth Ravine and, and waited on God to supply his needs with ravens. He's, he's been in the, the kingdom of Sidon. He's been in Zarephath. He's been in enemy territory where everybody worships Baal and God has provided for him. He, he knows hardship. He's no stranger to challenge. He's no stranger to difficulty. Surely there's a season of peace on the horizon. But even as the rain falls in Jezreel, a messenger comes from Queen Jezebel and says, Elijah, by this time tomorrow, you're a dead man. May my gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow you're not dead. Like this is like something straight out of the Wild West, isn't it? Like, like there's a bounty on your head, Elijah. And what do we know? The servant found Elijah. So when the servant goes back to Jezebel, how long is, how long is it gonna take for her to know exactly where he is? It's like he's got a GPS ping on his location, like, like she's coming for him. And what is Elijah's response? Verse three, Elijah was afraid. Elijah, this mighty prophet of God, is overwhelmed with fear. And what's his response? It says he runs. He, he, he runs. He runs for his life. He goes to Beersheba in Judah. If you were to Google map this, I prefer you don't do it right now, but you can. Um, the distance from Jezreel to Beersheba is about 100 miles. If you select on Google Maps, the little walking icon and not the bus or the car, it'll tell you that it's about a 44 hour walk from uh, Jezreel to Beersheba. I assume that Elijah would have to sleep along the way. So I would say it's about 48 hours, probably a two day journey at, at best for Elijah. What's Elijah doing? He's getting as far as possible as he can from this threat, from this trouble. Again, this, this mighty prophet of God who's seen God do so much. In, in, in recent days, he's seen God rain fire from heaven. He's seen rain come on a land that's been desolate, all at God's word through him. And now at this message from the queen, he runs and he gets to Beersheba, and what does he do there? He, he leaves his servant behind, and he goes into the wilderness another day's journey, and he's isolated, he's alone. He comes to a broom bush, he sits underneath it. He, he wants to die, and so he prays to God, God, I've had enough. God, I can't do it anymore. I've been at this for three and a half years. Like, I can't take one more thing. 
I'm no better than the rest of your servants. Just, just end my life now. And he lays down and he falls asleep. Like, don't let this get lost on you. This is a powerful picture. Like Elijah prays this prayer and then he closes his eyes. Like he has no intentions on waking up again. Like it is over. He has had enough. He's discouraged. He's despondent. He's dejected. He doesn't feel like he can do it anymore. And that's where I think we have to press pause and ask the question, can you relate? Have you been there? Have you had a season in your life? A season, I'm not talking about a season brought on by your own sin and rebellion. There there is despair, there is discouragement, there is difficulty that comes in our life that comes because we ignore God's ways and we rebel against him. I'm I'm talking about these times in our life when, when, when you're living rightly, when a faithful man, woman, student, child of God just keeps taking knock after knock, hit after hit, discouraging thing after discouraging, death after death, grief after grief, diagnosis after diagnosis. And just when you get up from one, another one comes. Have you been there? Have you felt like, God, I can't do this anymore? Where do I go from here? Have you been so discouraged? Has discouragement been so debilitating to you? Are you weary now? Are you discouraged now? Maybe you just got the medical bills paid off and and now somebody else is sick. There's another urgent care visit, another trip to the ER, another broken bone. Maybe you just fixed the furnace and it broke again. Maybe you came home after paying for all these repairs and there's a water line that's frozen or broken. Maybe there's another car repair. Maybe you just worked through a really discouraging season. Someone said something awful to you. Maybe someone betrayed you. Maybe someone falsely accused you. And and you got another voicemail. You got another text. You got another email. You got another phone call. Someone else is unhappy. Maybe just when you felt like you were overcoming the last season and now you got passed over. You got passed over for their promotion. Your application for the loan got rejected. You thought that you were supposed to start in that game and yet the coach looked past you every time. You didn't get the part in the play. You didn't get the, the solo in the choir. Are you weary? Here's my encouragement to you. If if you're weary, if you feel discouraged in this moment, if the discouragement feels like it's just about to topple you, that you're ready to go underneath the broom bush and pray to God and say, I've had enough, I can't do it anymore, that you would just listen intently and watch closely to how God brings Elijah through this discouraging season. And if you happen to be in a season right now that's not discouraging, it's full of all kinds of encouragement, it is great May you listen closely and watch intently because here's what we all know. A season of discouragement will come. And if you know the way through, uh, it will help you when it comes. And I would even encourage you, if you're in an encouraging season, uh, to listen intently and, and watch 
because there are people around you who need to be directed on how to endure their own season of incredible discouragement. So let's look at Elijah. I can't help but ask the question here, what's different this time? Again, Elijah knows difficult times. He knows difficult circumstances. Elijah, we've read this in chapter 17, he's already gone before Ahab, the king, and said, guess what, buddy? It's not going to rain. Why? Because God told me so, and now God's telling you so, and the heavens are gonna be shut up, and guess what? It's not gonna rain again until I tell you. That doesn't exactly bring you into favor with the king. We learn in chapter 18, in fact, that it upset Ahab so much that he went to kingdom after kingdom, country after country surrounding Israel, trying to look for Elijah to kill him. Elijah ends up in the Kareth Ravine, counting on unclean birds to feed him day after day, morning after morning, evening after evening. When the brook dries up, Elijah ends up in Zarephath, counting on a widow who doesn't yet follow Jesus, yet follow God, uh, to feed him. When the widow's son dies, we see that Elijah knows the questions and the doubts. Like, God, did you really bring me here? Just, just to watch this woman's son die? When God sends Elijah back to Ahab and he learns that Ahab's been pursuing him, he, he knows the pressure cooker of being on Mount Carmel, 450 prophets of Baal surrounding him, 400 prophets of Asherah, and, and yet he stands with God. He, he knows hardships. So what's different this time? What's different this time? What, what, what leads to this discouragement being so debilitating? Because when we read the account, God's doing the things that he's done before. When Elijah ends up in the wilderness in Beersheba, what does God do? He feeds him and he protects him. Twice, an angel of the Lord comes. When he wakes up, there's bread on coals, there's water in a jar. God is still providing, God is still protecting like he did in Kareth Ravine, like he did in Zarephath, like he did on Mount Carmel. But for whatever reason, that's lost on Elijah in this moment. All he can see is what's wrong and what's discouraging and what troubles him. God sends him to Mount Horeb. Don't let the language get lost on you. How long did it take him to go from the wilderness of Beersheba to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, verse eight? 40 days and what? 40 nights. Do you know how many people in scripture God used and did something remarkable in over the course of 40 days and 40 nights? Do you know who spent 40 days and 40 nights on top of Mount Hor, Mount Sinai, before Elijah? Uh, a man named Moses. There's a reason why it's called the mountain of God. God does remarkable things and it gets the attention of his people there. So strengthen for the journey, that's where Elijah goes. And as I think about what's different this time, why is this discouragement so overwhelming? Why is it that this time he's having trouble moving beyond the trouble and the threats? Why is it he can only see what lies before him? It's because he's taken his eyes off the greatness of God. Instead of focusing on God's greatness and God's ability, he's focused on his circumstances and his troubles and his inability. And they're keeping him from seeing what God has done before and what God is doing now. God asked Elijah the same question twice on the mountain. Elijah's response is the same both times. But God's question and Elijah's response are revealing. What's God's question? The end of verse nine, the end of verse 13, 
God asked the question twice, Elijah, what are you doing here? 2024 version, dude, what's going on? Why are you here? What's up? Why, why, why is your heart so broken? Like, why, why, why can't you see what's happening? Like, 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 why are you so despondent? What's Elijah's response both times? Verse 10 and verse 14. We'll read the one from verse 10. It's the same response. It should be on the screen. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You may not catch it on first reading, but on a second or a third, you'll catch it. Elijah is seeing only his troubles, unable to look beyond them and see God who's at work. And it's distorting his view. It's, it's changing his perspective. It's disorienting him. He's not seeing clearly because he's, he's seeing the trouble and not the God who lies beyond and above and before the trouble. If we fact check Elijah's statement, we find some untruths. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. That's true. You read through chapter 17 and 18, you can't help but see that, God, that Elijah has been zealous for God. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. Uh, some truth, some untruth. The Israelites have rejected God's covenant. They and the king did tear down God's altars. But putting your prophets to death with the sword, who, who was the one killing all the prophets? It was Jezebel. She's not an Israelite. I am the only one left. The only prophet left. Not true. We, we've already seen that Obadiah preserved the life of at least 100 prophets in chapter 18. He hid them in two different caves. There's this kind of idea in this verse that, that, that Elijah's like, listen, I'm the only one left. There's nobody but me. Well, he's not the only prophet. He's certainly not the only Israelite that's faithful. What have we already heard about Obadiah? He's a faithful servant of the Lord. It tells us that in chapter 18. What does God say at the end of verse 18 in chapter 19? He says, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah, you're not the only one. It feels like it. All you see is that Jezebel's after you, that life is hard, but it's not true. By looking at his inability, by looking at his circumstances, by looking at his troubles, he's missing out. He's not seeing the truth about who God is and what God is up to. And I wonder if the same thing doesn't happen to us. Actually, I don't wonder. I know the same thing happens to us because the same thing happens to me sometimes. When when that next discouraging thing comes, or that next discouraging word comes, or that next discouraging event comes, there are times, even though I know God has carried me through and God has worked in the past, that for whatever reason, this time, all I can see is the trouble. All I can see is the impossibility. All I can see is my inability. And I forget in the God, about the God who is able. Sometimes when we're overwhelmed and discouraged, our view gets distorted and we don't see the truth about who God is and what he's up to and what he's doing, what he can do. So what's the solution? God says to Elijah, hey buddy, you gotta see me. 
You gotta see me. You gotta be reminded of my greatness. And so what does God tell Elijah? Elijah, why don't you get up? Why don't you come out of the cave? Why don't you come to the mouth of the cave on the mountain and get ready to see me? And so Elijah comes out now looking for God. And God sends a wind and it shatters the rocks. But, but that's not the Lord. God shakes the mountain with an earthquake. But that's not the Lord. God sends fire just like he did on Mount Carmel. But this time, that's, that's not the Lord. And so Elijah is looking for the Lord in the midst of his circumstances. And what does God do? He speaks, but not with a shout, with a whisper. When Elijah is looking, when Elijah is tuned in, God speaks, he brings encouragement, he reorients him in an unexpected way. And then God asks him a question again. Elijah, what are you doing here? Dude, what's up? And Elijah's response is the same. God, I'm the only one. All this chaos. But what then happens after that? God says, go back. Come on. So, 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 so God redirects Elijah to himself. And here's the lesson in this for us. When we are discouraged, when we are overwhelmed, when circumstance after circumstance, harsh word after harsh word, difficulty after difficulty seems to just like keep us from seeing that we can make it one more day, we have to look up. I'm not talking about ignoring the trouble, but you can see and be aware of the trouble while you're looking at God. But if all you're looking at is the trouble, you'll miss him. So we have to look to him. And do you know how many times in scripture we're encouraged to look up? Psalm chapter 121. I lift my eyes to the heavens. Why? Because that's where my help comes from. It's a psalm of ascent. God's people would, would sing it and recite it as they're making their way to Jerusalem for a festival celebration, one of the feasts. And they could be robbed, they could be um, you know, overwhelmed by bandits, they could get hurt. But God says, don't focus there, focus on me. Lift your eyes to the heavens, that's where your help comes from. So think about what Paul says to the believers in Colossae. Colossians chapter three, one through four. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Since you have new life in Jesus, since your life has been ordered in a whole new way, do what? Set your hearts on things where? Come on, where? Above. above. Where, where, where are things above? It's where Christ is, where the realities of Jesus reign supreme, where he's seated at the right hand of God, where you recognize that he is the king on the throne. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Focus on him. Why? Because he died for you. And your life is now hidden in him, in God. And you know with confident hope and expectation that when Christ, who is now your life, appears, that guess what? You'll appear with him in glory. That these momentary troubles, they don't win the day. And I think of Jesus' words. In this world, you will have what? Trouble. But take heart, Why? Because I have overcome the world. 
And so followers of Jesus, when you are discouraged, when you are overwhelmed, the most important thing you can do is not allow those troubles to blind you, but to look beyond them. Again, not ignoring them, but looking beyond them to seeing God because he, he brings the perspective that you need. And even in that, I hear, I hear Jesus. I hear Jesus calling to the crowds, come to me, all you who are what? Weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. Follow me, I'm gonna give you rest. The key part of that verse, Jesus says what? Come to who? Come to me, turn your eyes upon me. Remember the old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? We look to him, he's our focal point. We don't focus on the trials of today. And when we're discouraged and we're overwhelmed, when, when, when despair begins to sink in, the challenge for us is to look beyond those troubles. You wanna know how to make it one more day with what's going on in your life right now? Intentionally, faithfully look to him. Faithfully look to him. And in a moment, we're gonna be singing a song, probably more like five or six minute moments um, uh, about the greatness of God. We intentionally have sung about the greatness of God this morning because it keeps our attention focused on what he can do. He's done great things. There's nothing that our God can't do. This is our God. He loves us. Nobody but Yahweh, nobody but him, nobody but Jesus. All things we sing because we keep our attention on him. I'm gonna give you that opportunity again in a few moments. Just a few more final observations I want you to see. In verse 15, the Lord says to Elijah, go back the way you came. Notice what doesn't change or hasn't changed. No indication that the bounty's off Elijah's head. Jezebel probably still wants him dead. No indication that in this time in the wilderness, these couple months, there's been some mass revival in Israel and everybody's abandoned their idolatry and uh, they've all, you know, destroyed the, the altars to Baal and they've cut down the Asherah poles. The things are probably pretty much the same. But what has changed, it's Elijah's perspective and looking at who God is rather than focusing on the trial and the trouble. And so he goes. You will face discouraging circumstances. There will be times when you think that you just can't do it one more day. And please know you're not alone. I've been there. Audrey can probably no longer count the number of times I've rolled over in bed and I've looked at her and I've said, Audrey, I'm not sure I can keep doing this. And yet we keep looking to God and he keeps carrying us through for anything, whether it's something related to the church, our children, uh, uh, our family, just life in this world. Um, Because newsflash, our world is pretty broken, but we can't focus on that. Can I just give you something? We're going to hear for the next several months a lot of awful things about people and about our country. And it's gonna be really easy to get sucked into the vortex. But can you make a commitment today that you're not gonna focus on what's wrong with America and what's wrong with these people leading our country and what's what's wrong with our world. And instead you'll see that, but you're gonna look to him and you're gonna know that no matter what happens, what happens in November, what happens any other time this year, what happens in Israel, what happens in the Middle East, that that doesn't win. Because our God is still on the throne. It doesn't matter. 
Will you cling to that? Will you hold on to that? Because if you don't, you're going to be one depressed, discouraged, disappointed individual. But our God is faithful. He is still at work. But we've got to intentionally look to him. Here's the second observation as I end. If you pay attention in chapter 19, there's an emphasis on Elijah's isolation. Elijah leaves the place that he knows and he goes to Beersheba. When he gets to Beersheba, he leaves his servant behind. He goes into the wilderness by himself. When we are discouraged, one of the worst things we can do is isolate ourselves. But God knows that, so what does God do? Hey, Elijah, here's my angelic messenger. Tap him on the shoulder. Get up, eat. I'm gonna go back to bed. Nope, get up and eat. You've got a journey ahead of you. What does God remind him of? Or what does God tell him to do following his encounter when he comes out of the cave and God speaks in a gentle whisper? Elijah, go anoint this king in Aram. Go anoint this king in Israel. And by the way, go find Elisha. He's gonna come, he's gonna help you. He's gonna take over. You were not meant to do this alone. Why is it so often when things get hard, we forget some of the very first words of God in scripture? God who comes to Adam, who says, it is not good for you to what? Be alone. When you are discouraged, one of the most dangerous and just bad things you can do is to isolate yourself. Don't go buy up all the Cheetos and cheese puffs in Walmart and go hide someplace. Let other people know what's happening and let them speak into your life and help you. Don't isolate yourself. We need other people. The final observation. I shared with you early in the message that the despair and the discouragement that Elijah feels is not related to his sin. But I want you to know that if the discouragement and the despair and the difficulty you have in your life right now is because of your sin, because of consequences because of your sin, what God did for Elijah will work for you. You need to turn your eyes to him. If your life is a mess because of your rebellion, guess what? Stop looking at all the things that satisfy you and fill you and all the ways you want to do it your way and instead look to him. And when you see him and when you see his greatness, when you see his truth, it should lead you to confess what is wrong in your life and the way that you're rebelling and to repent and to turn. And I'm not promising you that when you do that, that all the brokenness in your life is gonna just like finally just be put back together. But you will stop perpetuating that brokenness and God will in time bring healing and he will help you endure. And by the way, you can't follow Jesus by yourself. You need other people. So don't isolate yourself. Don't try to do it alone. Don't try to say, I've got this all figured out. Like ask people to surround you. We know the power of the influence of people in our lives. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you wanna follow Jesus, you need other men and women around you who wanna follow Jesus. Men and women who wanna follow Jesus are gonna speak the truth to you in love, but are gonna just accommodate your every bad decision. We're gonna walk beside you and along with you. And as you do that, you'll find that you keep looking to him and he, he leads you closer and he helps you endure. Discouragement's gonna come. It's gonna come through other people. 
It's going to come through circumstances. It's going to come through things you can't control. It's going to come through your own stupid decisions like it has for me. I know it has for you. But when we will look beyond to him and we don't isolate ourselves, uh, God will carry us through and he'll tell an incredible story through your life. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I just thank you for your, your rich, rich stories of faithfulness and work that you have recorded throughout history that we get to read and listen to and visualize. God, when we're discouraged, draw our eyes to you. Help us see beyond what's so hard. Help us to know that as we do, that you'll give us the strength for the next second and the next minute. And God, in time, we'll be able to look back and see that you've been faithful to deliver. God, draw us to you. In your name we pray, amen.